1: Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Renewals can come in many forms, whether it be an infusion of new talent, the start of a campaign, or the potential saving of a season. The Gators experienced all of those across the program this week, with football, softball, and men's basketball playing those respective roles. On this week's show, we'll welcome FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry to discuss the final pieces of Dan Mullen's signing class, another epic comeback by men's basketball, a signature win for women's hoops, and the Big Ten's potential game-changing stance on transfers in the PAT. But first, while the December early signing period has drained much of the drama from the first week of February, there were still letters to be faxed on National Signing Day, with Florida adding to its sizable haul from just a couple months ago. So to open this week's roundtable, we asked Scott to break down the latest arrivals.
2: They added a couple of receivers, which was a position of need uh, with the loss of those four seniors uh, off last year's team. And you know, two guys uh, that Gator fans were familiar with through the through the recruiting cycle, uh, Xavier Henderson uh, from Miami Columbus High School. And uh, for those out there who may not know, uh, but certainly recognize his last name, that's because he is C.J. Henderson's brother. A very uh, skilled athlete, six four, about two a big target, had a really good high school career, is also a state champion in the 400 meters, has excellent speed. Dan Mullen was asked about him uh, at his national signing day press conference and still has some work to develop his technique, but they really love the raw raw tools that he brings to the position. And um, anytime you're able to sign a player who's related to one of your top players for the past couple of years, and C.J. Henderson, he's familiar with the program. He's hung out with this team, these players on trips before. Uh, That's a good sign for Florida because, you know, whenever a young player has an inside connection to a program and he decides to come to that school, and this is a a talented player who had a lot of options at him. Clemson and Georgia were really after him, and Florida got in there and and beat those two out for his services. I, I think that speaks uh well for the gators program where it is right now uh, under dan mullen and then flip that they got a guy a transfer reporter which has been so good to florida since mullen got here most notably you know with a pair of receivers his first year in van jefferson and trayvon grimes well he gets another one of those guys uh in just shorter who was in the 2018 class he was the number one rated receiver coming out went to penn state uh red shirted then caught 15 passes uh his second year he is from new jersey and uh you know he had the option to uh, go into the transfer portal i guess to get a better uh offense or whatever it is he was looking for that he didn't find at penn state uh florida showed some interest once they saw that he had entered the transfer portal uh they were clearly still familiar with him uh and his high school film and and once they showed interest the uh, shorter gave the ride back pretty quick and Came down on a uh, official visit with his family, and uh, both sides, uh, you know, they connected really quick. And uh, shorter is also a, a mismatch problem, uh, is how Dan Mullen uh, referred to him. Six four, two twenty, really good speed, a lot of physical tools, and has a, a couple of years already in the college level. So he's going to come in. Don't know his eligibility status right away. That's still to be determined. But, uh, uh, certainly, uh, those two guys add some, uh, depth and talent at a position that was in need. Adam, the third guy that the Gators added late in the day, I want to go ahead and warn that I'm not quite good <laughs> at pronouncing his last name. His <laughs> name is Princely. That's fine. But his last name, Uman Malin, uh, Princely Uman Malin, he's a uh, defensive lineman who, you know, he committed to Texas, uh, along the recruiting trails from Austin, Texas, where the University of Texas is, and then, uh, you know, started getting some recognition uh, on the uh, recruiting trail. The Gators showed some interest with Auburn and Baylor, and uh, he's a guy that they really like, has 35-inch arms, 6'4", about 282. Uh, he's a guy that can really be developed uh, along the defensive line, and to get him late in the day and add some more depth up front, I know that was a signing that Florida was really, uh, you know, hoping to have and uh, add some more talent to a class now that you count the three players from today. And then, of course, the 22 plus uh, the transfer running back Lorenzo Lingard. That's 26 players in this class. That's a pretty nice haul for Dan Mullen and his staff.
1: Yeah. And National Sign Day always brings out a lot of. Uh... A lot of excitement and then some animosity online as well because you have people that fall recruiting really closely. It'll be very disappointed if a certain player they really thought they're going to get doesn't end up signing. Um, and certainly there were a few of those cases with Florida here on, on signing day. But overall, what's your sense of how Dan Mullen feels about this class now in its totality?
2: I think he really likes that. I think they address, as I said, some needs uh, at receiver up front, the defensive line. Uh, and you know there's gonna be a lot of chatter Adam on signing day there always is the Gators were in the hunt for uh, the land Florida safety Avante Williams and you know they really liked him I think they they felt he was a good fit here Dan Mullen said at his press conference but he you know he decided to go to Miami and Dan Mullen was asked about that you know what kind of a gut punch was that and you know he he said well you know in in the big picture they liked him they thought UF was a good fit for him but he said it's not going to be that big of a deal because he thinks they already signed one of the best defensive uh, secondary classes in the country and you know that's obviously Mullen putting a, a positive look on it but at the same time I, fans are going to overreact one way or the other if he came here I think Some would have said, hey, the Gators, best class they've had in years. They didn't get him, so there's some natural disappointment there. But I just looked at what they got from top to bottom, uh, the players they signed, who they brought in as a transfer, I just really uh, I think it's a solid class a really good class that 's going to finish in the top ten in the country uh, kind of keeps the momentum going of what they 've done under Dan Mullen and uh, you know Dan Mullen was in a very good mood on National Sign Day at his press conference, so that tells me that he likes uh, he likes the way it 's turned out for the gators
1: you know turning our attention to hoops. Uh Chris, it was, it's was. it been a, an interesting week for, for the Gators. We talked about these being really important games, kind of must-wins in some cases, and neither one of them was particularly pretty, but they were able to survive at Vanderbilt, and then they come home and have another one of these just monumental comebacks against Georgia with, you know, arguably, again, the season kind of on the line if they faltered.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's a 15-point lead at halftime, and Georgia scores the last 10 points of the first half, and you know, that's just a recipe for, uh, uh, I say disaster, but it's basically a recipe for failure because you know a team comes on and you let that happen right before half, you're giving them all the momentum. The, the, all the air was out of the building. It's a 15 point lead. And, you know, the guy said after the game, you know, Mike White, he obviously disappointed in them at halftime. And basically asked, he goes, are you guys scared? What, I mean, if you, if you didn't want to deal with high pressure basketball, why'd you even bother to come here? And like Keontae Johnson said, he took that personally. So what do they do? They go out in the second half and the, uh, they get blitzed again. They go from 15 down 22. And Mike White just kind of throws up his hands, and he sticks in a lineup with four freshmen in there. And Jason Jatobo, okay, he's made six field goals all season. He hits a little baby hook in the paint for his seventh field goal of the year to turn a 22-point deficit into a 20-point deficit. Well, lo and behold, guess what, Adam? It's a 37-5 run that it starts. And I don't think anyone would have seen it coming but uh the gear that florida found itself in with the help of you start making three pointers they you know they were the two of 12 from three in the first half um and i believe it was 7-11 in the second half uh that, that one stretch that in that 37-5 run keontae johnson hit two train man in his best game of the season hit two he had 11 points uh all in the second half all of them monumental shots uh, Kerry Blackshear had one. Nemhard one. Uh, Andrew had 19 of his 25 points, career high 25 points, um, in the second half. He scored uh, 11 of his team's last 12. I mean, it just all came together. And it, I don't know. You could have possibly have seen it coming. But uh, I mentioned some offensive numbers. Florida slapped a 3-2 zone on Georgia. It really confused them. Uh, it was better in, in terms of denying Anthony Edwards who had 18 points in the first half and looked every bit like a potential uh, number one overall draft pick in this game. He had 32 points. He was six and nine from three. I think at one point he was six of seven. So he actually missed his last two, but it turns out to be the second biggest comeback in division one basketball this year. It ties to the biggest comeback in Florida basketball history. And it comes 32 days after Florida came back from 21 down to beat Alabama in double overtime. This is not how you want to live, uh, as a basketball coach or as a basketball team. But obviously it beats the hell out of the alternative. Um, Florida has to figure out how to bottle what they're doing when they're playing at their best. Cause right now they, that's their problem. Cause we know they can play well. Uh, but they just have too many, uh, the inconsistencies. My, Mike White talked about an immaturity with the team. You know, if they can find that sweet spot. But like Andrew Nemar, I walked back to the locker room because we had to find out a way to play a full 40 because uh, there haven't been a lot of games this year where they played a full 40. Maybe Auburn, even the Xavier win up in Charleston for that, that tournament championship, uh, the, the last five minutes was like going to the dentist. So better to be talking about it in terms of winning this game. But um, this team has some things to fix because there are going to be some tougher games coming up down the line.
1: Well, let's talk about what's next. It's two games on the road And uh, I I think when you talk about those games, Chris, also the question that comes up inevitably you just touched on is, does this serve as another kind of, turning point because i know we've talked about that before that was the thought after the alabama game it was the thought after the auburn game it's a right, classic right? Too. Yeah. so this is arguably the the fourth or fifth time we've had that conversation is this time different in your mind and how can that play into the next couple games
3: well i would say i would say you have to assume that it's not until uh they prove otherwise because i mean they they they've showed and again this goes back to the maturity mike white talked about but you know, there are no givens in this in this league. I mean, the, the SEC Ole Miss uh, is, I believe, a, a two and seven in the league right now, maybe three and six, two and seven, I think. But uh, South Carolina was uh, one of the hottest teams in the league. They'd won, I think, uh, five of their last six uh, in SEC play. Uh, Ole Miss waxed them in Oxford uh, three and Tyree, who did not play against the Gators in the earlier meeting. He had 37. OK, um, so uh, uh, he, he'll make a difference. And uh, so uh, going back, that's that is not going to be an easy game this weekend, regardless of of what the records say. We all see what's going on around the country with these uh, with these basketball games. There are no givens, and we're certainly not going to make any assumptions that Florida has turned any corner just because they played the last 16 minutes of a game against a, a Georgia team, which has only won two SEC games this season. Uh, we're not going to make any assumptions with regards to where they are. They they have to prove it. Uh, over the course and put a little body of work together, put some um, uh, some string of victories together, not win one, lose one, or win two, lose one, fall back. I mean, they're still certainly capable of, of having the kind of game like they had at Missouri. You know, when they went up there and Missouri hung 91 on them. Uh, I don't know if Missouri's capable of having another game like that, but uh, uh, those are the kind of outliers that Florida's had to deal with. And uh, Mike White talked about how disappointed he was um, a couple weeks ago in the Baylor loss. Yes, Baylor's number one in the country, but Baylor had so much more fight than Florida did. And it was disappointing given the circumstances of that game. So let's see how mature they are. Let's see if they talk about this. Uh, They've got some kind of like peer evaluation program that they're trying that they hope will hold each other more accountable. So uh, that'll be tested this week also. But you mentioned two games. Yeah, they play at Ole Miss. And then they go next week at Texas A&M and, uh, that's going to be a, a struggle against a very good defensive team. Texas A&M's been unpredictable. They've gotten hammered sometimes. Georgia beat them by 15 over the weekend. They've got a couple decent wins on their, uh, in, in SEC play as well. So, um, I'm not decla- making any declarations about Florida having arrived. Let's just say they're 14 and eight. They're six and three. They're alone in fourth place in the SEC. And that's a better place than they were, um, when they went to Vanderbilt over the weekend.
1: I want to turn our attention to women's basketball for a second. It's not a sport we've had a a lot of chances to talk about this year because they they haven't had the best of seasons to this point. But, uh, Scott, they certainly put an exclamation point on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, They're not talking about the Chiefs. They're talking about beating not only a top 25 team, but a top 15 Kentucky on the road, which, uh, you know, for that program, it's a pretty big win for them in in the big picture.
2: It is because that, you know, this is a team that has struggled the first couple of years under Cam Neubauer as he tried to rebuild the program and, and kind of place his own stamp on it and its direction. And he's been knocking at the door with that this year. They, they started off, uh, with a good record and they, they had this rash of losses against ranked opponents. And, but they finally got one. They finally went up to Kentucky on Super Bowl Sunday, as you said. And it, it didn't start out the greatest, but they really started to shoot the ball well. Uh, from the outside in the second half, and uh, they put them in control, and they held on. And uh, it was the Florida's first win, I think, against a ranked opponent in about three to four years. And uh, you know, you don't never know, Adam, if you can classify is this a signature win? You know, I don't know if I'm ready to go there, but it's a win that certainly can do a lot for the team's confidence because, as I said earlier, they'd shown improvement early in the season, off to their best start uh, under Newbauer. And then they knew that they were going to face a, a tough schedule with all those ranked teams. And when you start losing four and five in a row to those teams, obviously that's going to take a toll on, this, on their confidence. And I think by going on the road and beating a Kentucky team uh, that's in the hunt in the SEC overall, uh, a big win, a good win uh, for the program. Freshman Lavender Briggs was all over it. Uh, for, you know, I think with 20 points, she spearheaded a lot of the improvement, probably the best player that. Well, no doubt the best recruit that Florida's had since New has been here. And again, it's, it's a program that had a lot of ground to make up to get competitive in the SEC again after uh, New Bauer took over. But I think you're starting to see some signs that the Gators have closed that gap. Now we'll see how they do uh, coming off that win. They had a whole week to kind of uh, practice and, and they face a Georgia team here at the O Dome on Sunday that I think has had three games this week. So you look at that matchup with Florida on paper, they're going to be well-rested against what could be a tired Georgia team. And, you know, my favorite of Gators, and if they can win that one, then you got a couple wins in a row against conference opponents and uh, maybe uh, set yourself up with a nice little surge down the uh, final stretch of the season.
1: Moving on to our PAT, it's, uh, it's strange times in college athletics. More and more, we're seeing some long-standing rules be changed. And even some that people thought should stay the same are now being looked at again. And, and the one I'm thinking about right now is specifically transfers in college football, college basketball, college baseball. At the moment, if you want to transfer in those sports, you have to either get a waiver to play immediately or you sit out a year, which in most cases is what they end up having to do even though in every other NCAA sport, you can transfer and play immediately without penalty, without a waiver of any kind. The Big Ten has decided it's time to open the floodgates. They are pushing for all athletes in all sports to be able to transfer one time without penalty, which some view as free agency and and truly the the wild, wild west coming to college football and college basketball, especially with the kind of player movement you'll see guys jumping in and out of the portal if they have a, a bad game or they get benched for one day, whatever it may be. I want to know from you guys: Is this a good idea to start letting all athletes have a penalty-free transfer, or are we opening Pandora's box to a realm we're not sure we want to go to?
2: Well, Adam, I, I think I think where we are in college athletics, and j- just with you know every year for the last few years, there's been some major issues that you know college athletics has had to tackle, and. Uh, they're still tackling some. Obviously, at the center of it all, I think right now is the, I guess the the student athletes' rights. You know, whether it's the uh, name, image, likeness debate, or as you're talking about the you know the transfer portal, as we become familiar with in football and men's basketball, and in this latest uh, case with the Big Ten and what they've done. I mean, I'm I'm all for uh, giving the uh, student athletes more rights because we live in an age where you know the coaches come and go. And, you know today's National Signing Day, and there's some kids who made their decisions today to go to certain schools, and we all know that you know there's going to be some coaches who after today maybe they'll they will, they'll move, not head coaches necessarily, but maybe position coaches, and and a kid who signed with that school suddenly the coach that maybe he got to know best on the recruiting trail is no longer there, he took another job. And, you do know, I have no problem with the coach leaving for a better opportunity. Uh, if that's what's best for his career and his family and his life. Well, guess what? I also have no problem for a student athlete who maybe signed with uh, a, a school and, and thought it was best for him, but, you know, he gets there and for whatever reason, he or she doesn't feel it's best anymore and they, they need to transfer. And I don't, I just don't have a problem with it. I, I think that's where we're going. Uh, I think it's a good thing. Uh, you, you know, is there a chance that, are there some negative sides to it? Sure. I mean, you want these, uh, these players to be educated to make wise decisions and of course when you're 18 19 years old sometimes you make emotional decisions sometimes maybe you don't think things through long term as much as you should you just hope that they have people around them who are helping them get all the answers they need but they to me they definitely deserve the right to at least have that option to them if that's what suits them best so You know, I kind of uh, applaud the uh, the Big Ten for looking at this uh, and perhaps uh, changing the systems there.
3: Well, I would say that in so many circumstances, the the rule is being applied in that same way right now. I'm think how many uh, people leave, especially in football. You see these these bizarre um, NCAA waivers where. Whether it's Justin Fields or, um, you know, or just as bizarre was the was it the Virginia Tech uh, tight end who was denied because his mom was sick and he and he lived five miles out of the the zone that would have that would have allowed them to uh, play right away. He had to set out the season. I mean, it's so arbitrary how some of these um, waivers are determined. I have absolutely no. I think it's a great role because um, to Scott's point, you know, yeah, coaches can leave whenever they want and and there's no ramifications for that um now they're saying like if coaches leave sometimes coaches leaving are a reason why um players are being granted waivers now so uh i, I think it's a great rule because you know circumstances don't work out for every guy you can be a five-star player and go somewhere and just doesn't work out that doesn't mean you ought to you, it, it, a change a scenery uh a fit um something going on position coach uh you know, I, being doing the job I do, I see that there's a lot going on with these guys' personal lives. Sometimes there there's girlfriends. You know, some some there's reasons why you don't want to stay. And if someone don't want to be someplace, I don't think they, they should be penalized for wanting to leave. Now, seeing they bounce around once, twice, three times. Of course not. But I don't think uh, uh this this is not an earth-shattering kind of thing that's going to ruin college football. Yes, let them leave once they already have the grad transfer rule, and uh, players are taking advantage of that, and it. I'll tell you, I, I kind of think it makes, uh, the game a little more interesting. Is it free agency? No, it's not exactly that, but you get guys that can help teams, uh, right away a lot better when you bring in older kind of guys and it, it's a different kind of dynamic that can help, um, improve a team. So, uh, I think it's a great rule. Uh, I wouldn't want it to go any far, for, any further beyond, you know, uh, a double transfer or anything, but, uh, I, I, I would be fine if the NCA adopted it across the board.
1: Yeah, very interesting times in college athletics. Change has been coming for a while, and this may be the, the biggest one yet when you look at it in terms of how it'll change the way the programs operate, the way they try and retain their athletes. It's a uh, it's a slippery slope, but it appears we are sliding right on down it. So we'll continue to track that story, and we'll, of course, be tracking everything happening in Gator Nation for you guys Chris and Scott are on Twitter, at Gators Scott, at Gators Chris. Their content is always available at FloridaGators.com. Gentlemen, thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, Adam. Hey, hey. Few programs have enjoyed the consistency that Gators softball has over the last decade plus. And Tim Walton's team will once again be in the top 10 when they begin their season this weekend in Tampa. 2019 proved to be a historic year for Florida, one that saw the opening of its newly renovated stadium and also the conclusion of two legendary college careers. In our season preview chat, we spoke to Coach Walton about both of those significant events, beginning with the impact the new facility has had on the program.
0: Yeah, I mean, when, when, when I look out of my office and see see the stadium and the the, the color of the grass and the the level of detail that goes into the stadium and the dirt and the grass and the fence and the field. It's, it's really, uh, it's just, it's such a a refreshing feeling to know that we have the luxury of having a, you know, a, a great crew and staff that work on this complex. But the things that it's really, really enhanced the most is the relationships with the players and the staff and, um, just the entire working group that goes into this process that we have in our stadium. So I, I get to see everybody every day, not just in a in a competitive situation, but when they're doing their rehab and their prehab and they're eating lunch or studying or passing by. It's just it's a really nice to be in this. Uh, I call it a very, very functional facility, the functionality of what we can do here every day. And the, just the, the luxuries that the players have is really professional and really convenient for them. I think we have a, you know, a very nice setup here. And, um, you know, to take advantage of this, we were able to practice early and then come up and do some work and go back out and practice. So we can get a little bit more one-on-one attention with our players and still be able to get our work done that we need to do on a daily basis for the season and, you know, for out of season stuff as well. It's really been a nice, this, this year is obviously. The first year we've been in it, you know, in the preseason and we had a really nice preseason and got a lot accomplished that we maybe couldn't do in the old formula.
1: Looking at at what you guys have and even around the country, some of the ones that have popped up in the last decade. And then also what's happening right now in Oklahoma City with the full, I mean, almost completely redone ASA Hall of Fame stadium out there. What does that say to you about just the continued growth of the sport in general to have so many people at every level putting more money and resources into it?
0: Well, I think that the number one thing it tells you is the, the commitment to not only the sport of softball, but to, to female athletes in general all over the country, and in a lot of sports. And we don't take that for granted, knowing that you know we have uh, one of the best universities in the country, one of the best athletic departments in the country. But we're a total athletic department, and you know our athletic department, our fan base, um, our booster group saw the the importance that of us being able to get an upgraded facility to impact our student athletes in a positive way and, you know, get our players what they need. And um, so I think that that's a very good observation, not only by you, but to be able to see the importance that everybody's putting into the sport. It shows you not only there's the popularity of the sport, but the ability to for some places to be able to revenue softball and be able to make some money or at least break even on softball. And then what you be, what you can do for the fans is you just you get to upgrade the whole entire experience for the fans, um, as long as well as the players. And so I think it's a really, it's just cool. I mean, I, I've been, I've just, I'm celebrating an anniversary being in, you know, the NFCA, which is the, our national fast pitch coach association, you know, so from 1999 to, now and um to be a part of this growth of this sport has been something very special and i've you know i've been played in parks of you know we've done a lot of different things and to be able to see our players to be treated like professionals um in the sport of softball has been really something very um very fun to watch and uh, very proud very prideful about that I'm very very proud of the work that we've put in and that, that everybody's putting into the sport of softball it's really it's really um, it, it makes me feel good. Well
1: I'm sure it's also nice to have lots of great players that, that help you achieve those things and you've certainly had so many of them that you've gotten used to losing them but this past year you lose two kind of generational players in Kelly Barnhill and Emmanuel Lorenz obviously one that anchors the pitching one that anchors you defensively and at the plate. Um, how difficult is it to replace two pieces that big simultaneously?
0: Well, you know, we're, we're, we're going to feel the Kelly Barnhill piece probably a lot more, not because she's different than Amanda, but Amanda's still with us. So we get Amanda Lorenz with us every single day. So I still get to see her smiling face. I still get to see her personality. I still see her competitiveness or work ethic. And so from that standpoint, I feel like she's still here, even though she doesn't get the bat, but we're going to miss Kelly's, you know, just being on the field, just because of what it forced the other team to do. And, you know, and I don't know that we have another pitcher in, in our program that had what Kelly had. And, you know, again, I, I, I've hardly, I've never compared one to the next anyway, but Kelly was just unique. There's just a different style of pitcher and the, you know, the, the way that she pitched. And so I think that it's brought in our pitching staff together um, pretty well. They're very close. They work hard together and they understand the, you know, the, the importance of a pitching staff, um, This year, maybe, maybe more than last year, because Kelly, you know, obviously carried the load for us in a lot of ways. Um, but, you know, we're going to definitely feel the loss of that leadoff hitter that was on such starts the game off with a hit almost always, it felt like. Um, but I, I do feel that having Amanda in our program, she's been able to teach our young players a lot. She's been able to work, you know, hand in hand with our managers, with our coaches, with our video staff. She's a great person to have in your program every single day. That I don't feel like I'm missing her as much as I'm missing (laughs) Kelly. But both those two, number one and number two recruits in the country out of high school. And, Mm. you know, they they delivered on seven uh, All-American Awards and so many more things. That so they were the hype was real, obviously, on the two of them. They did a great job.
1: You noted in your press conference last week, this is the first time you haven't had a returning All-American pitcher since, I believe, 2007. When you think about that, how does that kind of play into your calculus of how you manage your staff, knowing that there isn't that one, or maybe even in, in some cases, two arms that you know exactly where you can put them in certain situations?
0: Well, the key, the key ingredient when I was thinking about it, 2007 was the first time that I've ever coached an All-American pitcher as a head coach. Stacy was a 2007 All-American. So 2000, when we come back after the 2007 season, um, so from then to 2008 on, we've had a returning All-American, so to speak. And so um, I think that pitching is obviously the key to success. And, and when you have an All-American pitcher, you see what that does to the level of success that you have in your program. And so, with that being said, we're not returning that, you know, that that all-American in the circle. Um, we certainly have the capability of developing one, potentially two, you know, in this team. But with that being said, I think this is going to compare more to probably the 2011 Gators, where Hannah Rogers had to, you know, bury the lobe when Stephanie Brombach was hurt in the preseason tournament. Um, we're going to have to score more runs, and we did in '11. We're going to have to do it again now. And so, I think that. You know, I think that our hitters know that our defense know that our coaching staff knows that we'll put that into play. But the key ingredient to us winning a national championship in 2014 and 2015 was having a pitching staff. Fortunately, they were full of all Americans. So, (laughs) um, you know, but they, but they weren't that when we, when we first had them, They, they weren't that, you know, that we, we thought they could be. And they weren't that, you know, at the time, but we were returning them obviously with Braunbacher and then Hannah the next year. And then obviously then it was, you know, Delaney, then Alicia, then Lauren and you know, all the, the, the list goes on and on and on. So although we don't have the hype and the returning part of it, we do think that, you know, especially when I look at you know, the, the rally checks of the world and, um, you know, and, and Natalie Lugo obviously played at a high, high level coming out of high school and, You know, hoping that she can get the ball more and and, and make an impact in the SEC play. She made a big impact in us last year, being able to have such a good record at a conference because she pitched, you know, side by side with Kelly and, you know, took on everybody else that Kelly didn't take on. So uh, we got a long way to go with our pitching staff, but we do have a pitching staff returning Elizabeth Hightower from being a, uh, you know, a freshman all sec performer so got a ways to go but you know still i like our i like our chances i like our team and i like what mike Bosch does with our pitchers and try to set them up to be to become better
1: you mentioned just a second ago needing to be a little bit stronger offensively to to counteract some of the losses in the circle you specifically used the word last week scary we have to have a scary offense how scary are you now and how do you get scarier
0: yeah, well, obviously we get scarier if Amanda Lorenz was leading off and <laughs> Kendall Lindemann's batting two, Charlotte was batting three, maybe one of the Jordans batting four, and then you know then put Hannah Hannah Adams in the five hole. But um, Hannah's going to lead off for us. She's really you know she's obviously done that enough in her career for us. But I think we get scarier um, just really the, the ability up and down the lineup for any and everybody in that group to to get hits. We can hit home runs. We can hit extra base hits, we can drive runs in. I think you're going to see a lot more um, top to bottom um, contributors than maybe we've had. And, and again, with that being said, you know, we really can't afford to play our quote-unquote best defensive lineup like we've been able to the last couple of years. And so, like I said in my my press conference the other day, to the casual fan, you know, they want us to be really good at defense, really good at pitching, really good at offense, score a lot of runs. It just doesn't happen like that very often. And, and again, when you look at the 14 and 15 success, having Lauren Hager be in the lineup as a pitcher and a hitter, it takes one of your, maybe your um, players on your team that isn't the best offensively and allows you to be better on defense because she doesn't have to hit better on offense. Cause now you, you know, you're obviously putting another hitter in there and then obviously you can still be good in the circle. So I think we just, we, we were a little bit different. But we still play good defense. We still pitch well. And, um, you know, I think, I think ultimately our offense just, we're, we're going to play a little bit more offense than we played in the last couple of years. And just, uh, just how it is.
1: You just had Kendall Lindemann named the player of the year watch list. Uh, obviously, she can do a, a tremendous amount for you guys in that offense. Can you just talk about her skill set and how the players around her can hope to complement the power she brings to the lineup?
0: Yeah. You know, and, and you're talking about a program, you know, a lot of programs will talk to you about, you know, you, you can't listen to the outside noise and you can't focus on this or focus on that. You got to really try to keep everything in house. So as the head coach, I, I've got to echo, you know, what we're trying, what, what our players are striving for when they try to stay within their focus and their tunnel. Um, and so I really haven't really spent a whole lot of time focusing on those individual awards and who did or who didn't or, you know, whatever, I, Obviously, we have a process to go through. So, but I do think that Kendall Hinneman's as good of a right handed power hitter that this game's had. And I don't want to use the word ever very often, but she's one of those once in a lifetime type of a players. You know, she can really hit. She can hit change ups. She can hit fast pitching. She can hit high. She can hit low. She's a, she's a lineup changer. And, um, again, the opportunity for us last year to upgrade our lineup in the middle of the season happened by, you know, by, by her transferring to us. And, um, you know, with that being said, it, it impacted our lineup in such a positive way. She's a really good person. She works really hard. Um, she's a good leader by example type of person. And I'm really looking forward to have, this, is our first full year
1: with her in our conditioning program and stuff like that. I'm really looking forward to, to seeing her, um, you know, have a, have another great year. When you get someone on the player of the year watch list, that can certainly draw a lot of attention. But, you know, there's a lot of players who maybe don't get that recognition that have also made significant strides. So in terms of your returners from last year, which individuals have you seen that have shown the most growth year over year?
0: Oh, man. That's a, that's a really, really tough question. Um, I think Jordan Matthews is probably the player that's improved the most from say freshman year to now. Um, but there were so many injuries and so many things circumstantial that really made it hard for her to be her best when she got here. Um, but she's really improved. She's gotten her speed back or she's getting closer to to being almost at full strength of what she, what I recruited her to be and probably what she even thought she could be. Um, but she's becoming a lot more uh, dynamic of a hitter um, I mean, Hannah Adams has really improved a lot. Uh, Jamie Hoover's improved a lot. Jordan Roberts has shown some great promise here from the start of the fall to where we're at right now offensively. Um, she's really starting to become a lot more consistent, whether it be velocity, change, in and out. She's she's getting better. So it's like I said, it's really hard for me to 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 say you know who's probably improved. But I think if I were, I mean, Natalie's improved a lot. Katie Cronister's had the best fall that she's ever had, um, for us. And, you know, hopefully we can keep her healthy enough to, to play a full season with the Gators. Uh, she hasn't had that yet, but, um, I think we've, we've had a lot of improvement. Uh, a travel coach once said this to me a long, long, long time ago. Really, really, I mean, he's a Hall of Famer, really good coach. He said, the one thing I like about sending my players to your program is I'm sending you good players. And somehow you continue to get good players better in your program. So he just said that to me. And, I, and it's one of the best travel programs in the entire country. And I, I've always taken that to heart to know that we always try to help our players get better. I'm a player's coach in a lot of ways. Um, but I think that player development is, is definitely one of our strongest suits that we, that we definitely pay a lot of attention to here in Florida.
1: When I have a chance to impact even more young players that are coming in fresh to the program. So can you talk about which names fans should be looking out for early on? New names are going to make a big impact in your mind.
0: Yeah, our freshman class has really been um, done a good job. Riley Trilicek, you'll see her pitch a lot for us. Julia Cottrell, you'll see her catch a lot for us. You'll see Charlotte Eccles uh, transfer from Michigan State. She's a sophomore. Uh, she's going to start at third and she, she's been, she's done really, she's really good. Um, when you go, Bailey Goddard is going to play a lot for us. Um, EC Taylor is probably going to situationally play, probably maybe run a lot more for us. Um, and then you'll take, um, Mia Buffano be a late inning defensive replacement, lefty, lefty, throws pretty well. Um, probably our most natural outfielder that we have. And then <laughs> I'll tell you it's been funny. One of the, one of the toughest out on the entire team Uh, well actually from the start of the fall to now has been Sarah Longley so Sarah's really really come on and starting to hit the ball like she had done some in high school where she had some big big time game-winning hits and some things to send her high school team to state championships and stuff but um, I think Charlotte Eccles has again a a big time chance to impact this lineup and Julia Cottrell you know those two from an offensive perspective are are pretty special Um, Bailey Goddard's got as much power as any hitter that we've had in, in our program in, in a long, 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 long time. So, um, really looking forward to, uh, to seeing those, those guys get a good chance early and to see what they can do with their opportunities and have fun. And, you know, obviously as the game slows down, I think you're going to hear those names for a long time in their career.
1: You have a pretty unique home opener this year in that you're welcoming in the U.S. national team for an exhibition. Um, As they get ready for Tokyo softball returns to the Olympics, what does it mean to have them come through Gainesville? And on top of that, to have a lot of familiar faces that will be on that team as well?
0: You know, being able to play Team USA is a big deal. Not only is it a big deal for for, uh, the Gators, but also for Team USA. You know, in other words, getting, getting them a chance to, to showcase their brand and, uh, come here to the Southeast and, and, and really treat them first class. And, you know, I just hope we can help them improve. And that's my goal of this game. And they're, they're loaded top to bottom. They're really, really, really good players. Obviously some of the best in the world. Um, I'm just hoping that we can help them improve and, and, and whether it's just one thing that they get better at that day. So um Really want to help them improve and, and work to build uh, their team for their quest for the goal. It's great for our fans. It's great for the families of those three Gators, Michelle Moultrie, Kelsey Stewart and Aubrey Monroe, be able to come back and play in this newly renovated stadium that they helped build by their successes. And so I think that's really, really, really cool um, for me. I've spent uh, a few years with the U.S. national team in the junior level. We've got a couple players on that team um, that'll be, you know, competing for a gold medal and obviously getting a chance to not only recruit and love watching and working with, uh, with, with my three, but I'm really looking forward to this opportunity. It's a big deal for us. Uh, we've sold out all of our tickets. Um, there's still some standing room seats and some berm seating and stuff like that. So that was really really cool of our fans to recognize the importance of this and my wife and i are gonna we've already bought our tickets got our hotel and we're going to tokyo as well to oh support, wow to support not only support the team but you know i've coached an olympian you know and i mean that as as part of our you know gator program so it's a big deal um when you're the best in the world and you get an opportunity to to compete for your country um you know again i'm going and my wife's going it's just, this is a special moment for softball to be able to have uh, future Olympians playing on your field against your team and the impact that they have not only have had on the game, but will have on the game for for the rest of their lives.
1: That's really cool. We'll have to, we'll have, to have you back on after that to tell us about the whole experience over there. Um, a couple of final things for you. When you're talking about uh, globally sports, as you just were, the death of Kobe Bryant has just affected seemingly everyone in their own unique way. And I'm curious to talk to you about it because you are one of the most competitive people I've ever met. And anyone who hasn't met you would quickly find it out if they did. And one of the things people most cite about Kobe was just his mentality and what he brought to the game. I'm curious, can you just sort of share your thoughts on that competitive spirit and what you and others draw from a guy like that? We as fans, because that's all I could be from, from the Kobe Bryant standpoint, it's just a fan because I don't
0: know him on a personal level, nor do I know really anybody that knows him. So only thing I can give you is a fan perspective. But as a fan, you, you choose who you like and who you don't like, whether you like because you don't like their team or you do like their team. But I can tell you a few stories that I've heard and the few stories that I've heard, because obviously our circle is very um small when it comes down to sports and one of the best experiences i've ever had as a as a coach was going to the espys in 2015 and going to the espys you realize the s i'm thinking espys these these powerful dominant personalities are going to be so just blow me away it was such an unbelievable experience of humble individuals i guess because the whole room is filled full of people that have accomplished something in their sport and i met lebron james And, you know, we met uh, quite a few Alex Rodriguez and, you know, the list goes on and on and on of, of different sports people that we met. And they were all the same, just really unbelievably humble. But back to your question about Kobe, I've had a couple stories told of me of Kobe that have changed my entire perspective on Kobe Bryant. There's so many things that Kobe Bryant did outside of his sport, not only for his family. You find these things out. Why was he in a helicopter? Because he wanted more opportunity to spend time with his family as opposed to commuting through the traffic to get to where he needed to go to work. And so there's just as a dad who has three kids and, and a wife at home, I really respect that. Um, and then the other thing you hear about is all the charitable work he did for young people and or people that, were, that he never got a camera on him to ever. He didn't want that attention. Um, so that tells you a little bit about his competitive side. He didn't really care what you thought of him. He was going to do what he knew was right for not only his family, but for his, uh, for his different, you know, charitable, um, pieces that he did and worked on. But I have never, I heard one interview about him and I've never heard anybody say it differently. Kobe Bryant didn't outwork people. Kobe Bryant didn't go and work out when he worked out. He didn't go lift weights or run or condition Kobe Bryant pushed himself to the brink every single time. He called it a blackout. It wasn't time for him to be finished with his workout until he got to the point where he was going to blackout. And that's when he knew he was obviously done with his workout. (laughs) Um, But I have never heard anybody say anything different. Kobe Bryant was probably one of the most fiercest competitors that anybody has ever seen some would view that maybe as arrogance. Some would view that maybe as a uh, disrespectful to to some others. But you know, as as I've gone through and listened to the stories and have heard my 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 opinion of Kobe Bryant has really really changed in the last uh, you know week plus. It, I I have a a deep um, respect for the man that Kobe Bryant was more so than the competitor. I, I just uh, again I've I've just really grown to respect. The life that he led that nobody knew he was leading in such a positive way. Look at the, look at the out, outpour of, of love for somebody who, you know, th- he was probably 50 50 in the fan base or in the, you know, in the, in the news media of, of people that really appreciated him. And, and now I would say that, that he's probably grown. His legend has grown to a level that I don't think anybody could have ever imagined it to be. And that says a lot about what he did behind the scenes that none of us knew he was doing. And. I just grew uh, a great amount of appreciation for him. And I really, really, really admire that. But I feel so bad for it. I feel so bad for his family. It just, mm-hmm. it, that part really pains me to, to know that his, his daughters and his wife are going to have to go through the next however many years without somebody like Kobe Bryant, who was obviously a, a great father and great husband.
1: Yeah. Very well put. Um, final thing for you. You are first and foremost a baseball guy, and the baseball community has been rocked over the course of the last few weeks with the Astros cheating scandal, the sign stealing, using technology. And it, it brought up this question when we did our conversation with Chris Harry and Scott Carter of, in this modern age, where is the line of competitive advantage and then cheating? Being a baseball guy, knowing all of that, I'm curious for your thoughts on how has technology changed what is competitive advantage gamesmanship and what is cheating
0: yeah so it's I'm, I'm typically one that doesn't you know you know me i'm pretty pretty black and white and i'm not somebody who likes to get in the middle of whether it be political controversies or controversies in general you know it's for me to say what i said about kobe obviously you know it was from the heart you know going through the the, the readings of all the different situations that happened with those ball clubs and major league baseball people ask me all the time why do you use those sign cards why do you use numbers why don't you use you know signs and do all those things that you would do and you know, because of technology, technology forced us to use sign cards because, you know, we had a couple, couple schools in <laughs> a couple schools in the league that were in our minds, were doing things because of their technology at their home stadiums that could allow them to do things with their cameras that were different than what we were really thought was probably on that level. So um technology has changed everything. I'm not going to get into the specifics of the other two, because Again, whether they're all accurate or it's speculation or this or that or what's proved, what's not proven and, you know, that stuff. I don't think it's fair for me to, to give an opinion on that. Um, I just know when I played baseball, if, um, if we knew that you were getting our signs, we would figure out how you couldn't get our signs. If we felt like you were getting them in a way that you, we didn't think was legal. Then players handle things that players, players handle things that coaches can't handle. And um, we as players handle it ourselves. And so this will change the game of baseball for so long. Baseball and softball coaches are so paranoid anyway. Um, I and mean, we, I mean, we are, we're all, we're constantly trying to hide our signs and change our sets. And, you know, are they doing this? Are they doing that? So I just think that this is. Yeah, again, I I, it's it. it, I feel I feel sad, but in the same sense, I go it's competition, and people are gonna, you know, and some people just think that they they need to do anything they can to win, um, and so it's it's tough. But um, I I just I wish I knew I wish I knew everything and could say, Adam, it didn't happen like that, or Adam, man, it happened like this. I wish I knew more, um, but in the same sense, um, I I think that 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 technology has clearly, completely, one hundred percent changed everything about sport.
1: Well, Coach, we we appreciate your thoughts on those you know latter two topics there, as well as getting us ready for softball season. And we certainly wish you a lot of luck when things get underway.
0: Well, I appreciate being on here, Adam. Thank you very much. It's this is my fifteenth season, so it's uh, obviously uh, you 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 hope you continue to grow and your perspective of not only the game and your players changes, but uh, perspective on life. And so uh, I opened up a little bit more with you this time, I think, than I think I've ever have. uh, I think, again, I think that has a lot to do with maturity and, you know, and, and age and um, just going through the process of what we do every single year. You know, you, you just keep growing and learning. So appreciate you having me on as always. Adam, go Gators.
1: And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice. And please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to visit FloridaGators.com for all the latest news in the orange and blue, including scores, schedules, and more. Then come back next week for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Gainesville.